So Deaconess, I have kind of a prequel to the podcast today. Is that recording? Yes. Okay. What's your prequel? I thought about making a Star Wars reference in the sermon, but I decided last minute to not do that because I was thinking about, you know, different editions of books. And then there's the special editions of the original trilogy where they add a bunch of stuff in and kind of ruin, you know, key characters like Han Solo shooting first and whatnot. But I decided not to go down that route. So how, how much do you rejoice that there's no Star Wars in the sermon? I am rejoicing with everyone else right now. Not everyone else. <laughs> we'll find out from uh, the, the feedback for the podcast. How about we get started? All right. Hey, St. John. Welcome to the Post-Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, Deaconess. Today, we will be discussing your sermon from this past Sunday. So tell me a little bit about the text that you preached on today. Yeah, so we are still in the middle of Luke, chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is going towards Jerusalem. It'd be interesting to see how many times Luke actually makes reference to Jesus heading towards Jerusalem. And someone from the crowd calls out to Jesus, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus starts to talk about how uh, narrow the door is to salvation and to strive to enter it. And then you get a brief parable about a master of a house uh, shutting the door on those who are outside. Uh, And you get a reference to the feast at the end with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the feast of the new creation. So there's a fair bit going on in this reading, but you can see how it all connects together. And you specifically focused on verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. Yes. But I do, I have a couple of questions about this reading, because like you said, there's a lot in here. So that question that, that someone asked Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And then he goes on to talk about the people say to Jesus, Lord, open to us. And then he answers, I don't know where you come from. Um, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And this was actually was a here submitted question. Who are these people that, that are talking to Jesus? Is the question about the person in the crowd or about the people in the parable? Oh, I'm sorry. The people in the parable. The people who are striving to enter but are unable to. So verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock. I do find that interesting how Jesus switches to the second person pronoun, you know, to you. And this is a reminder that you get this question from someone in the crowd, you know, will, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And you can kind of hear that as kind of a distancing question, you know, Lord, how about, you know, who's in? It's not those people over there. You can kind of put some subtext to that. And Jesus turns it right back on that person. You know, the master of the house could shut the door on you. And this gets into, so how then are we saved? How then are we recognized by our Lord, right? Uh, how, how horrifying to hear, I don't know where you come from. I don't know you. And you get a few moments like this in the, in the Gospels. I mean, it's, it's interesting, too, because these people are saying, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. So they obviously thought they knew Jesus. And we hear this in other places in the gospel, right? Yeah, yeah. This this comes up again and again, especially in Luke. And actually, I haven't uh, done the translating work for next week, but I peeked ahead at the reading. In in the reading, I think we get two or three kind of people eating at the table scenes. I think there's one scene and then kind of two parables. I, I forget. We'll, we'll find out by Sunday. <laughs> uh, but in Luke, people sitting at table and eating with Jesus happens all the time. 
And so you have like the, in chapter, is it five? You have the, the rich ruler who invites Jesus to his house. He's a Pharisee. And that's where the, the sinful woman comes in and anoints his feet. And so you have these contrasts again and again. Jesus is at table, at meals. And now we're looking ahead to the feast at the end. There's a big theme in Luke about, um, about feasts and who's in and who's out um, in Luke. But I think I lost my train of thought. What was I supposed to answer? So who are these people that will not be able to enter through the door that ate and drank with Jesus? Yeah, that's right. Is this, is this talking about like the Pharisees and religious leaders? What about today too? Yeah, I think that's interesting how the reading just says someone from the crowd. I think we want to say, oh, it's the Pharisees or it's the opponents of Jesus, but it's just some person. And this is a reminder that there are those who think that a Christian is just someone who attends church or I check the box enough, or I, or I give enough, or you just kind of fill in the blank. How are we saved? It is faith in Christ that saves. So it's someone seeking to justify him or herself. I, that's certainly one way or another. You know, I ate with you. I drank with you. I, I, I even like the line, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And I love the, the possessive there. Christ, you were, you're amongst us. You were in our streets, forgetting he's the creator of the world. <laughs> Everything belongs to him, even those streets. You know, this, this is his world, not your world. And so often we have you know, people in our lives that will think that if I check these certain boxes, that's what makes me a Christian, that's what makes me saved. And at the end of the day, it is Christ who holds on to us. It is Christ who saves us. His Holy Spirit gives us faith. God has to work out our salvation completely. And this parable in this reading is reminding us Uh, Not all will be saved. Narrow is the door. And that should give us some pause of, so how then am I saved? And you mentioned Jesus is holding on to us, which is one of the parts of the tension that you talk about in your sermon. Uh, But then the other half is is strive, is this um, active verb, right, of what we are doing. So even translating from the Greek, this is what's saying, strive to enter through the narrow door. And I mean, even the next part, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So you could say, oh, well, they're seeking to enter. They're trying to do something for God to get in. But you can't quite say that because right before that, Jesus is saying, strive to enter through the narrow door. So it's just, it's, it's interesting. But I guess you have to hold both parts of your statement together correct yeah and that's and that's the whole that's the the whole thrust of the sermon is that there are two truths that we're holding together and these are just true of the christian faith when it comes to your salvation god saves you he gets all the credit he does all the work Uh, god repents you god faiths you he gives you the faith to believe and that faith receives the grace and it's you know that's what we say in the small catechism right I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or called him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. And he does this for the whole church. Right? God does the verbs of our salvation. That's absolutely true. Why are we saved at the end of the day? God, 100% credit, 100% um, his doing. And at the same time, Christians are expected to live a certain way. And this is why you get the imperative from Christ. This is why Paul will, you know, give these beautiful proclamations of the gospel of how God saves us. And then he'll say something like in Philippians, I think it's Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so this is a reminder of we don't get to kick up our feet. 
we don't just get to be familiar with Jesus. He's calling faithfulness. And now I hear some of the lines from the sermon that are kind of undergirding some of that, that it's, it is both these realities. We do not save ourselves, but yeah, uh, God gets all the credit. And at the same time, be faithful to him unto death. Live like a Christian. Act like it. Not just, I, I kind of check my box. I got my Sunday calendar slotted for Jesus, and that's it. It is an entire life of discipleship. It is the way of taking up your cross and follow him. It makes sense because sin still holds on to us, right? We still have our sinful nature. It clings to us. And the reality of our sin is it does separate us from God and from one another. And that's always a reality. So for us to maybe ignore that first part of the statement, a disciple is someone who holds on to Jesus, we ignore that and we become unrepentant or complicit in our sin. But that's you looking like I'm not saying the right thing, but I think I am saying the right thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was just thinking of things like how powerful apathy can be, how powerful laziness is, or even just think about, you know, our to-do list, you know, workload of, okay, I get all this stuff organized. I, I fix this part of my life and kind of get this all straightened out. And then I move to another task and I forget about that arena, you know, and it, it becomes all disassembled, right? Yeah. And, and that's kind of what this is a reminder of the Christian life. It is this ongoing active work of living faithfully to Christ. And it's not just something we could just say, ah, it'll kind of fix itself. Right. And, and so this reading is calling us out of, out of apathy, out of our carelessness, out of our, well, God's got this. It doesn't matter what I do. Certainly God's got your salvation. He will bring it about. He will raise your dead body from the grave. And in the meantime, live faithfully because it's so easy for things to come in and choke out that faith. Yeah, and I just have to add, thinking of the context of the rest of the Gospel of Luke and then the other Gospels as well, how many parables and just times in general is Jesus telling us to stay awake and be alert, right, right. for his coming? And that is a warning to just how, like you said, how easy it is to fall into temptation and to ignore the will of God and to, you know, I'm not trying to like scare us as Christians, but maybe in a little, maybe in some sense, right? Just the, the reality of the spiritual powers that are at work that we don't see around us, right? Yeah. Um, of course, God is almighty and more powerful than that and has, is um, victorious over that. But to ignore all of that is really putting ourselves into danger, would you agree with that? Yeah. And again, you said that we get this from Jesus. I mean, right from his mouth, we get plenty of uh, illustrations and parables of when the master goes away on a journey and comes back and he finds some of his servants who have been acting righteously and some of his servants who have been acting wickedly. You do not want to be found as one acting that way. And so really what, what this is getting to is, again, God saves. He will bring about our salvation. We are responsible to be faithful and depending on who you are and what moment is, do you need to be comforted or do you need to be afflicted out of your comfort, right? And so the idea of, you know, uh, part of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. 
Law and gospel. Yeah, that's definitely law and gospel. And so am I someone who is just like, well, God forgives me, doesn't matter, I'm just going to kind of do what I want. Well, that's someone who is a little too comfortable in his grace. And, you know, the law needs to come along like, hey, repent, strive, your faith is in jeopardy here. And then the person who is striving and is trying to be faithful and is still dealing with their sin, because we will until Christ returns, and is just so afflicted, and I can't keep it all together. I can't. I, I organize this part of my life, and then this part falls apart, and then I organize this part, and then this falls apart, and just, I can't. And we speak the comforting word of the gospel, Christ is holding on to you. And it is both of those realities constantly. And so that, that twofold statement in the sermon is holding that together, that a disciple is someone who holds on to Jesus, and a disciple is someone onto whom Jesus holds. Both are true, both are constant, both impact us every day until Christ returns. This, of course, reminds me of something, for those of you guys who are in the Holy Citizens class, this will make a little bit of sense. This is definitely a duality. Sure. Right? Yeah. So this the statement, the, these two parts of the statement are not at odds with one another. They're not contradicting each other. There is a tension, yes, um, but they work together. Yeah, or they, they just exist together. and They exist together, just like law and gospel, right? Exactly. And we need both of them. And to ignore one half is really to our detriment. And honestly, to ignore one is to ignore Christ who speaks in this way. Yes, exactly. Either, either way. And Christ speaks both ways, and all of Scripture speaks in these two words. And so that's why we bring it up, and that's why we hold it together. Exactly. And that's why the sermon kind of ends with saying, and for now, we hold on to both statements. Yeah. And that's why as Christians, in particular as Lutherans, we don't get to say that the law is bad. Because like you said, Jesus speaks word of law and that's a good thing. That's his will. But at the same time, yeah, we can't ignore the gospel either, which is what saves us. Yeah. The law calls us to be the creatures we were created to be. And at some point as well, we realize I'm still not able to be that creature God is craving to be. I'm still not able to be faithful to him. And God says, I forgive you. You're mine. Your salvation is secured. You're still baptized. My spirit's going to raise you on the last day. Exactly. And uh, sorry, there's there's so much to unpack. I know I have a lot of other questions to ask you, but I'm going to stay on this for another minute. That that first part, disciple is someone who holds on to Jesus. It's like what you said earlier. Um, we don't get to say, oh, that's we're able to like do that ourselves like we don't get to take credit for it like even in this active participation that we're doing that's still god by the holy spirit working through us yeah and that's that's an interesting thing uh when we talk about uh when we live faithfully we even know it in our best efforts in our best days it's still not all that great and it's right. to shot through a sin. Yeah, it's kind of the to God alone be the glory. And that's why uh again the third article of the creed of the Holy Spirit, you know, you know, uh uh he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus. <laughs> and it's that ongoing work that yeah, it's it is gonna be God's credit ultimately. And somehow we're still responsible for living right. faithfully. We don't get to blame him for no. When it doesn't go well because of our sin. No. Yeah. And this also, this statement too, I think it's a good theological term for um, for us to remember. I'd say this is the two kinds of righteousness, correct? 
that's another way to distinguish it. Yeah. Yeah. And do you want to just briefly define what the two kinds of righteousness is or 2KR, we'd call it? Yeah. I wish I had like a whiteboard on this podcast. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, Just basically two kinds of righteousness. There, There are two ways of thinking about the Christian life. One is our relationship before God. And the other is the relationship in our world, uh, before our world around us. And so before our God, we are passive. We receive his grace, his forgiveness, his life and salvation. God gives to us and we simply receive. We are passively made righteous. This is, this is the gospel. God does the verbs. We receive the action of the verbs. Active righteousness speaks about our responsibility, our work, our character, living virtuously. We are to actively act like Christians in the world around us. And so uh, both of these realities are true of the Christian, and it's not just I'm only receiving from God, doesn't matter what I do, and we don't confuse them. It's not because, oh, look at how faithful and good I am. That earns me extra grace points with God. No, God took care of that. The cross was sufficient. And so it's both those realities constantly. And that's why that, that essentially that, that twofold statement in the sermon is just describing the two kinds of righteousness in a different way. A disciple is someone who holds on to Jesus. That's an active sense. And a disciple is someone unto whom Jesus holds, right? Jesus holds onto us, right? He will carry us through. That's the passive righteousness. I mean, in the statement and in your sermon, you talk a lot about us as disciples of Christ. So what does it mean to be Jesus' disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who holds on to Jesus. Okay, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, when we think about discipleship, it is this all-encompassing thing. God uh, in Christ makes us disciples, and uh, as disciples, we are to live faithfully. And it is not just a part of our lives. It's not just a, a couple hours a week. It is every aspect and reality of our lives belongs to Christ, and he will see it through. And going with that definition you just said, I mean, at the end of the sermon, you brought up John Bunyan as an example, and he was faithful to Christ, which ended up putting him into prison. It was from his preaching, is that right? Yeah, a 12-year sentence for preaching. So why did you include him in your example? Yeah, in my uh, preparation during the week, I came across this um, story of, of John and his autobiography, and I really liked that story. I didn't know if I was going to use it in the sermon. I was like, oh, maybe I'll use it some other time as a different sort of thing. And then just as the week unfolded, I thought, you know, this would be really good to bring in. And just the idea of he continues to leave his reader in prison with each edition of his autobiography and just understand that discipleship demands all of us. And to leave the reader there reminds us of, we have a brother who has been in prison for the faith. And whatever our, you know, he was in literal prison, you know, what are our kind of metaphorical prisons? Maybe we will be in literal prison for the faith or our sufferings or our sins or our miseries that bind us. Even then, God is faithful. God will carry us through. He will set us free. And to trust that even by being faithful to Christ leads us to these really challenging situations that I do have to confront my sin. I do have to stand up for what is true and good and beautiful it will be okay ultimately. Our Lord is the one who saw his people through to the other side of the Red Sea. He will see us through into the new creation as well. And even though John Bunyan was waiting for his freedom from prison on earth and then 
eventually freed him from from his sin. But even in that moment of when he was in prison, there's there had had been freedom given to him, right, by Christ. Absolutely. I think of uh, Acts chapter 16, you get is a Paul and Silas, they're imprisoned yeah. in Philippi. And what are they doing at night? Singing hymns. <laughs> and then the Lord intervenes, of course. Yeah, I know it's, it's cool just to think that even if you lose everything, which one day we will, um, in Paul and Silas and John lost their quote-unquote freedom, that they still had Christ, therefore if they you have had Christ, everything. You have Christ, you have everything. Exactly. And if you have Christ, he will give you everything too. I mean, it's just, it is all true, and it will be absolutely true on the last day in the new creation. You brought up Exodus 15 in your sermon, that many of the visits you went on last week, you would read this to them. Why did you choose Exodus 15? I honestly don't know. <laughs> Um, it just happened to be, I knew I had a number of visits lined up during the week and I like to use the same devotion throughout the week and kind of apply it to each person's situation. And I thought the song of the sea is often what's called would be an appropriate text. Just thinking through being through, you know, all the plagues in Egypt, going through slavery, being on the other side of the Red Sea, you know, Pharaoh and his army pursuing and just the relief and the joy that God is faithful. And not knowing the different situations I would go to, you know, visiting members here and whatever particular suffering or challenge or being in the middle of it, to hear our brothers and sisters from Exodus 15 sing of the faithfulness of our God and to trust in that. Um, our Lord will see us through. And what's interesting is Exodus 16, it's the bread from heaven, the, the manna, and we know what's coming next, 40 years of wandering the wilderness. And even still, our Lord will see things through, and he brings his people safely into the promised land. By the end of the story, our Lord Jesus will bring us safely into the promised land of the new creation. So that, that was kind of some of the, the thought there that I figured it would apply appropriately into each situation. What was the challenge for you with the sermon process? I think the inherent challenge with this sermon is to keep that tension of those two statements. It's really easy to want to just pick one and focus on one hey, be a better disciple. And you could really lean into that. Or, guys, don't worry, Jesus has got this. But not actually direct people how we are to live, as Jesus does. And, and especially because Jesus gives you know these imperatives and these commands, it's really tough to avoid that. You know, Our Lord has said this. We heard it. And so just making sure to keep that tension, to hold both statements together, that's that was really the challenge of the sermon. Is there anything else about the sermon that you would like to mention before we wrap up? Uh, no, uh, but in Star Wars, Han Solo did shoot first in episode four, which is why the special edition is terrible, because it changed that. What does it have to do with this? I didn't say it has to do anything with the sermon. You asked about the sermon. I said no. This wraps up the episode for today. Thank you for listening to today's discussion. In case you missed the sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon is in the show notes. You can also find the sermon on our church website, stjohndublin.org. If you, the listener, would like to submit a question about a sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. We love your questions. Maybe you can even ask pastor something about Star Wars. I don't know, because I know I'm not going to. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some thoughts on Star Wars anytime you want, Deaconess. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Thanks. Well, we'll see you next week. Bye.